electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, China's business crackdown. What's the impact on investors here? It's fascinating just to see what's happened in the past 24, 48 hours over there. It's weird that it's so broad and it's like something bigger. The always outspoken hedge fund manager and China skeptic Kyle Bass joins us with his take. I think it's lunacy. And I think at some point in time, we're going to look back at this and say, all of the facts were on the wall. And yet we decided not to pay attention to them. Plus, Tesla's blowout earnings and Bitcoin around 40000 after Amazon pushed back against speculation that we'll all be doing Bitcoin payments for packages. I think it might have been just literally that there was a washout. I mean, people decided at some point that 30000 was a nice floor and that they were going to make the move. It's Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. I can't get enough of you, Joe. Okay. And you too, Andrew. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Morgan Brennan, who's hanging out with us uh, for the next three hours. Hi. Becky's off today. Nice to see you. We've got a, a big show. Beijing's sweeping regulatory crackdown on technology, education, food delivery, and property sectors has sent shockwaves across global markets, erasing $769 billion in value from U.S.-listed Chinese stocks in about five months. The Chinese government is issuing a slew of new rules that target specific sectors or practices and can impact the profits of Chinese companies listing abroad. Now, regulators in China say they are preventing private business from taking on too much risk, or, this is mentioned a lot, exacerbating the wealth gap in the country. And now, traders around the world worry that the latest crackdown could expand to other industries like healthcare, as China tightens its grip on big tech and prevents hits to the government's authority. To put this into perspective money-wise, the three big tech giants, Tencent, Muitan, and Alibaba, have lost more than $237 billion over just the last 48 hours. Let's get back to Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's fascinating just to see what's happened in the past 24, 48 hours over there. It's a little bit weird that they're suddenly discovering these, these whatever you want to call it, improprieties, sort of just across the board. It's like, wow, oh yeah, there's a problem there. There's a problem in property. There's a problem in ed- education. There's a problem in uh, you know, food delivery. It's weird that it's so broad and it's like something bigger. It really looks like is happening. We're going to have Kyle Bass on a little bit later. And it was, I think, kind of the wild, wild west for the last 20 or 30 years, maybe, uh, in China. And we know that it is a state controlled economy. And I think if they feel that they're losing control, that they have to reassert things. Is it that simple, do you think? Well, with that, to me, the question, Joe, is. Is it a cleanup effort in order to assert even more power on the global stage, meaning make the country more powerful by cleaning up what might be a bit of a Wild West situation? Or is it a tamp down of people and individuals and businesses that they feel that they can't control, that they need to control? 
And I think those are two different things, and I'm not sure which it is. My guess is it's a little bit more of the latter. And I would just argue, Joe, that this is, you know, this has not just come out of nowhere. This has been a slow-moving storm that I think is now starting to gather some steam. But, I mean, look back at Alibaba and everything that's happened with Jack Ma since last fall. You can make the same argument with other self-made homegrown billionaires in China at other conglomerates that were not tech-related in the last couple of years as well. This has been something that has been happening quietly, slowly, and now seems to be gaining momentum and, and does seem to be much more of a tampdown given the fact that there is, I think, these flaring tensions uh, that have not eased. They've only gotten bigger and, and stronger between China and the U.S. in the midst of a pandemic um, here on the world stage. And so, yes, it's, it's kind of like we will help propel these companies and help foster this sort of pseudo-capitalism until it starts to get in the way of, um, you know, state control. The, so. the, the, I just didn't see how there's a big problem in the tutoring, after-school tutoring business. And now they want to make it not-for-profit, and they want to make sure you don't charge too much. And, and the journal actually points out that now that they're, you know, you're allowed to have more than, than one kid, or I don't know how many, I don't know what the limit is now, which is bizarre for us in this uh, a country to even talk about. But uh, now parents are worried, wow, if I have three kids, I'm not going to be able to afford what the tutoring costs because it's out of control in the for-profit education sector. So connecting all these dots, that's what I was talking about yesterday. We, I just think it's hard for us to figure these things out because it's so different, uh, what, what's happening culturally and economically and, uh, you know, just having a, a, you know, state control. But I was thinking, Andrew, where it said that the, the government wants to assert more control over the private sector. I feel like we're getting some of that here. Don't you think that we've got our own little brand of that going on suddenly? Mm. Suddenly? I'm not sure it's sudden. I think this has been, uh, we, we've been having lots of conversations in this country about regulation for, for quite some time. And then there's a whole group Ramping of people who don't little. think there's enough. Right. Well, I know. I know. We work, we've been working together a while. We're following the cryptos at Bitcoin. We alluded to this. Pulling back uh, after briefly topping 40,000 yesterday, the drop came after Amazon uh, denied reports it would start accepting cryptocurrency uh, for payments this year. And again, I just wonder if this is uh, where there's smoke. Usually there's some fire. If they put out, uh, you know, in the classified section that they're looking for someone that's an expert on crypto, that gets it started. But do you think that this British media entity actually spoke to someone that did they have the story right and now no. they're just walking it no so it's totally no. they weren't going to do it by the end why would they make that up you're not by the to end do of that. the year i think is the key phrase there right they didn't say that they're not they're looking studying. into cryptocurrency they, didn't. they said we're studying it yeah. they just said by the end not by the end of this right. year we're studying it. so andrew doesn't like crypto but but so you, you think it's it's totally wrong uh andrew that's not true I like well, crypto. You, you I, kind I'm, of take that. You're, you're t- you push back on the other side of things. So you, uh, I mean, he's worried about I, I, I don't both know, sides. Energy both use sides. I thought the report was specious to begin with. I thought the way it was reported was specious to begin with. Mm. And I'm not well, surprised. That, still at twenty nine. It was at twenty nine thousand. You know, a week ago. So it, it's I not at forty. But thirty seven, thirty seven five is holding on to some pretty good gains. But anyway. I would tell you something, Joe. If you go look at the timing, and this I, I found fascinating. In fact, I had talked to Max, our producer, about this. The initial report about Amazon looking for that job came out on Friday morning. In fact, uh, right. Scaramucci and I were talking up on, up on the, the Squawk Terrace on Friday morning. And that report had just come out, I think, right around then. 
the move in Bitcoin didn't move until 72 hours, effectively 48, 72 hours later. And so I'm not sure it was the Amazon report, unless, unless the Bitcoiners were late. I think it had to be something else. I think it might have been just literally that there was a washout. I mean, people decided at some point that 30,000 was a, a nice floor and that they were going to make the move. Well, just hold on a second. You took the mooch up to the terrace? You took the mooch up to the terrace. I know you oh. weren't here on Friday, but we took so you the mooch that's up fine. to the Just, terrace. Uh, oh, I'm going to go up to the terrace, and I'm going to bring Scaramucci with me up to, to the Squawk Terrace. We, we, know, took, uh, we took the mooch up to the terrace. Then we had Ned Siegel, the CFO of Twitter, right after his earnings. He came up to the terrace. He was up there? He was up okay. there, too. Just let me know next time. Speaking of Bitcoin, let's talk a little bit of Tesla right now because the company posted better than expected quarterly results. And Phil LeBeau joins us with the highlights and talk a little Bitcoin as well, Phil. Yeah, they took a $23 million impairment charge, and there really wasn't much discussion, no discussion about Bitcoin uh, during the company's conference call. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, the company did beat on the top and the bottom line. Listen to this. It's net income. For the second quarter, $1.14 billion. First time they've topped a billion dollars in net income. And that's 10 times greater than the net income of Q2 a year ago. So clearly this is a company that is in growth mode. You see that in the profit margins. But it's the outlook that also got a lot of attention yesterday because they did shift it a bit. They pushed back some of what the expectations are for the rest of this year. Now the Model Y will begin production in both Berlin and in Austin this year. Notice the word is production. Not deliveries, but production. There may be some deliveries. Not a lot of people are expecting that. Cybertruck production then will be subsequent to the Model Y. Will that happen this year? Will it happen early next year? Sort of laying the, uh, the groundwork there for it to potentially be pushed back. And remember, that's going to be built in Austin. And then the Tesla Semi also being built in Austin. That has been completely moved into next year. Here's Elon Musk on the call talking about the challenges the company has gone through over the last three months. Our team continues to make huge efforts to make our factories run at full speed, which is very difficult. Um, we have had some uh, factory shutdowns due to uh, part shortages, uh, and we hope those will be uh, relieved in the, in the coming weeks and months. One of the primary uh, parts shortages that Tesla was wrestling with, like the rest of the auto industry, semiconductor chips. He talked about that and the inability to get as many chips as Tesla needs in order to keep up the production schedule that it would like to have. They are still working on that, though they do believe it's getting a little bit better. Take a look at annual deliveries from Tesla. They did not give guidance for full year deliveries. So this is a company where most people believe they're going to deliver anywhere between 850,000, 860,000 vehicles this year. The average sales price, by the way, in the second quarter dropped 2%. Not a surprise given the fact that they did not sell nearly as many model uh, uh, S's as well as Model X's. Those are higher priced vehicles. Finally, as you take a look at shares of Tesla in the last year, the gross margin story, you have to talk about this. Automotive gross margins, 25.8%, and that's stripping out the electric vehicle credits. You add those in, it was north of 28%. So strong margins once again, in fact, stronger than uh, in Q2, Q1. And then also you've got them taking a $23 million impairment charge on Bitcoin. But again, guys, there was no discussion of Bitcoin on the conference call. What will get some attention already is, is the fact that Elon Musk said on the call, you know what? Probably going to be my last call. The last time I'll do earnings calls, but this is the... I will no longer be default doing earnings calls. 
so uh, obviously I'll do the annual shareholder meeting, but I think uh, going forward I, I will most likely not be on earnings calls unless there's something really important that, um, that I need to say. That will change things just a little bit uh, over the next several earnings reports. Okay, so Phil, Phil, I got two questions for you. One is about the tax credit. Obviously, this is a, the first quarter company uh, profitable without the credit unto itself. What does that credit look like right. over the next two or three years in terms of the full profit picture for the company? And I mean, this is a milestone for them. Right. Well, it's, it's going to have a diminished level. I think it was $354 million uh, in this last quarter, down 11%, 17%, something like that, compared to Q2. And it, you know, I think you're going to see it less and less. Remember, those electric vehicle credits, those are credits that they get for selling them to companies that need to buy them in order to come in compliance with regulations. Right. More companies will start building electric vehicles, so they're not going to need to buy as many of them. That's been the expectation for some time, that it would eventually become a much smaller part of the quarterly profits. Uh, Phil, the other question is maybe a little too speculative, but, you know, for many years there have been folks who thought that Elon Musk might give up the reins of being the CEO of Tesla. Um, Right. Under his contract, he could be the chairman and maybe the chief, you know, creative officer or, or chief director of engineering Software or whatnot, officer. if you want it to be. And yep. here you had a situation last night where he says, this is my last call. If you go online, there's all sorts of speculation. Is this not just the last call? Because sure. he's thinking of changing the way he runs the company. What do you think? I think there may be something to that. Look, it's always going to be his company. He will always call the shots. He will always have the final word. There's no discussion about that changing. What I do think is changing is the fact that he's looking at his portfolio in terms of his personal involvement, whether it's this, whether it's SpaceX, you know, whether it's the Boring Company, whether it's Neuralink. And I think he looks at the day-to-day operation of Tesla, and he, there are certain things you can tell that he is just not interested in doing. And these conference calls are a good example of that. Uh, right. And I, I'm not surprised. And if, by the way, if you listen to these calls... They have become much more muted than they were in the past. And he repeats the same language over and over. Manufacturing is hard. It's tough to build a company, yada, yada, yada. There's less and less true information where you say, okay, that's new. I haven't heard that before. Okay. Phil LeBeau, appreciate it. Hey, Morgan, what do you think happens to the Tesla stock if you see an announcement that he's handing the reins over? Not that he's leaving, but that there's somebody else who has the CEO title. I think it depends on who that person is, right? Just looking at SpaceX, they've got Gwen Shotwell, who is a powerhouse in the space industry. Who's, the, who's that person at Tesla if, at, if and when that were to happen? Next on Squawk Pod, China's big business crackdown with Heyman Capital's CIO and China Bear, Kyle Bass. I don't think they're credible at all. If you're not willing to submit yourself to a Western-style audit, then who knows what those numbers are? No one believes China's numbers are real. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand by Joe in three. This is Squawk Pod. One is Mike Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Morgan Brennan, Becky is off today. We can count on you tomorrow and the next. Count on okay, me. all right, just checking in, Andrew. Right? <laughs> we did. We, we just yep. want to, you know, take your temperature, to make sure everything's okay. Shares of Chinese tech and education companies are falling again uh, this morning. Eunice Yoon uh, joins us uh, from Beijing to uh, give us some color on this again. That you know. Uh, 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 I would have never thought after school tutoring. Got to get that uh, got to get that all squared away. Make sure everybody's on the same page there, Eunice. Yeah. And I think it's going to take some time, Joe. I mean, after school, private tutoring companies like this one are normally full of kids at this time of day. But this notice says that uh, they have suspended classes and aren't really sure when they're going to resume. And that's because of the regulatory crackdown. The schools around the Capitol have been trying to figure out how to survive. Some of them have told us that they are switching to non-core classes, such as calligraphy and coding. Others, many, have said that they're going online and offering a one-on-one private sessions with their teachers. And still others are looking into corporate training or teaching adults. Now, these multiple regulatory crackdowns has been unnerving investors, including here in China, so much so that the state media has issued a number of articles to try to calm people down. Uh, the Communist Party uh, paper, the Securities Times, is um, suggesting that people buy on the dips. Uh, the Shanghai Securities News says that China faces no systemic risk. And the Securities Daily is arguing that the Chinese economy is sound, so there shouldn't be any problem. Uh, state media has also been, interestingly, offering some investment tips, uh, saying that people should put their money in new energy, high-end manufacturing, like semiconductors, and the military. So investors both in China and Hong Kong have been very nervous, just like other investors around the world, because they don't know which sector the regulators are going to target next. Also in Hong Kong, investors there are digesting the news, this landmark ruling under the Beijing-imposed national security law. A protester who was flying a flag um, has been convicted of secession as well as terrorism and is likely, this case is likely going to send a signal to the city that if you fly the slogan, liberate Hong Kong, revolution of our times, that could land you in prison for life. Joe? We just are still trying to figure out exactly what what the motivation is, because once we figure that out, we can figure out who's next. Do you do you have a a feeling or have you heard about which industries uh, might be ripe for some type of regulation where people are looking property or something where they're, they're, they're looking at it and saying, wow, this is crazy what's going on here. And we could probably 
figure out yeah. where, where they're because it seems like they're not going to stop. I don't think Xi Jinping is not going to stop. Well, uh, that's. I, I mean, what you're thinking is exactly what investors here are thinking, too. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we saw consumer plays drop. People were saying that maybe consumer plays are going to be regulated. Healthcare. The medical stocks also got hit. Yeah, they, it, like a, lot of, a lot of different sectors were hit. Uh, but I think what's important is, is to look at like, what is happening in the specific sector. So, for example, um, you know, the, the food delivery companies. Uh, the regulations there are really aimed at trying to help the delivery workers. And if you look at the details and you kind of understand that a lot of the delivery workers have been under tremendous pressure because part of their pay is by how many deliveries they make. And the algorithms of the companies have put in, been kind of cutting their time shorter and shorter. And so that's putting a lot of pressure on people. So there's a belief that in food delivery, at least, uh, that th those regulations that the government has is really to try to uh, stop some of these companies from putting too much pressure on their workers. But for then, for, for after school, it's, it's hard to know. So what does uh, Xi Jinping want? Does he want 10% GDP growth or does he want uh, control over the... the burgeoning private sector economy. There's people that are, are saying this is, I don't know if there's an expression in Chinese for the goose that, that laid the golden egg, but these are all uh, geese laying golden eggs for China's economy. And uh, uh, this could come back mm -hmm. in terms of quantifiable uh, depressing uh, GDP growth over in China. And it doesn't seem to matter. I yeah. And I, Joe, I actually think, I, actually, I think the answer is yes, that he just wants the 10% GDP growth, and that he also wants to have the control. So in a Chinese context, the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. You know, so from um, a Western perspective, you can't have all of this growth and, and the markets can't, you know, that you won't be seeing like, private enterprises and innova innovating if you don't have um, um, a kind of a freewheeling market and you um, kind of let up on, ease up on the controls here in China, that's not how they think. Yeah. Right. Well, we still got politicians over here that haven't learned that, too, uh, Eunice. So that, that, I, I made that uh, comparison earlier. Uh, we all have a lot to learn, it uh, um, seems. Thank you, Eunice. I appreciate it. Let's talk with an influential investor who's been paying close attention to China and the country's government for years, Kyle Bass, a Heyman Capital Management founder and chief investment officer. We know China... Uh, wants to compete on on all levels, uh, economic. Now we're hearing about another nuclear uh, silo plan, a new missile base mm -hmm. for China. Kyle, I don't know if you saw the New York Times report. That's the second one in recent weeks, uh, capable of having a lot of uh, a lot of missiles put there, whether they put them there or not. Um, it, it, it seems to be leaving the minimum deterrent strategy it had and joining the arms race with the U.S. and Russia. Is this all, does this make sense to you, part of your overall thinking towards what China's trying to do? I'm going to tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see once you understand the fundamental ideology of the Communist Party of China. Uh, all, of, all of the things that are happening today are impossible to discount. They're easy to see coming at some point in time. And I, I, again, I think that's where when we think about investing, First of all, Chinese companies won't submit themselves to, to covered audits like all U.S. companies do. Now you have to discount Xi Jinping risk or Communist Party risk. How can you pay a multiple, huge multiple of earnings with all of those things in front of you? You know, this is going to be 
a panacea for plaintiffs' lawyers and, and for individual investors uh, when they start bringing arbitrations against their fund managers, their brokers, their RIAs. I mean, there is no defense for a fiduciary uh, that invests in China today. What is the, the end game? Because we, we've talked about it that, you know, obviously state-controlled businesses, if the state feels like it's losing control, they're going to they're gonna come, come in and assert themselves. Maybe that's it. But we've talked about that this could dampen GDP growth down the road, that, that part of the last 20 or 30 years, the miracle in China has been innovation in, in what is kind of a pseudo-private sector. So why clamp down on that and, and kill the goose, the geese that are laying the golden eggs for China? What, why is this more important to Xi Jinping? So I actually think it's bigger than just China, believe it or not. I think that given the financial crisis, the global financial crisis in 08, and now uh, the virus crisis, uh, of, of the last couple of years, you've seen central banks around the world expand their balance sheets aggressively. And we all know in the U.S. alone, there's you know 35% more money, more broad money in the system today than there was a year and a half ago. So what's happening is, right, we talk about inflation, but the differences between asset values moving up uh, and the poor becoming more poor because they're having to pay more for food and energy and the basic staples of life the middle class can't reach up because asset prices are moving too quickly. This is fundamentally core to what China's struggling with today. They have 400 million people supposedly in the middle class, which you know, we define it a little differently here. Then they, they saw the billion people in abject poverty. And that when that gap widens too much, uh, China has to clamp down and figure out how to stop social unrest because uh, that's their worst fear as, as, as a country. And so I think... All of this is actually rooted in the, in the amount of uh, central bank expansion globally. And now what you see China doing is the government has total control. It's impossible to discount. You know, they went after the food companies yesterday when they went after for profit education the day before. It all started with Ant Financial. And now it's moving into Tencent and attack. And what's what's next? Healthcare. I've talked to a bunch of my friends today that are big global asset managers, and they are finally starting to really materially pull out of China and Hong Kong. This is just the beginning. Well, whether it's for to maintain control over the masses or to, to try to bring more people into the middle class, that's almost you could almost say that, that regardless of their intentions, that that could be a good thing uh, over time. But w- what does it mean for, for the United States and for tension and for what, what looks kind of like a new Cold War at times? Uh, in in the way we're dealing with in it, that maybe it's an economic cold war or a, a, a financial industry cold war, but uh, it's definitely increasing tensions with the rest of the world. I mean, look, it's it's now easy to see the Chinese Communist Party has, has shown you who they are and what they care about. And again, as an investor, it's 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 unconscionable to think about how you could invest in one of these Chinese companies without audits, without the ability to discount risk. Um, uh, but as far as what their end game is, you look at what they're doing with with their U.S. listings, uh, and they're, at the same time, they're 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 expanding their ability to to bring companies into Hong Kong, and they're saying that Hong Kong is is going to adjust its listing requirements to make them much easier for Chinese companies to list in Hong Kong. I think Beijing's hopes here are that uh, people are going to stop investing in Chinese companies in America and start investing in Chinese companies in Hong Kong. I think it's a, I think it's a grave miscalculation on Beijing's part. Hey, Kyle, 
Curious whether you think the American investor is now supposed to think that the numbers and audits from Chinese companies is more reliable or will become more reliable or become less reliable as a result of what we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, they don't submit themselves to covered audits like like all U.S. listings from every other country do. So in 2013, uh, the PCAOB and the SEC gave China a pass. Uh, and that pass last year was revoked, although they have three years to comply. So in 2013, the agencies that are supposed to be protecting U.S. investors gave Chinese, they basically declared open open season on U.S. investors. And so I believe that uh, Chinese companies won't submit themselves to covered audits. And what you're seeing happening now is China just saying, we're not going to list in the U.S., we'll go list over in Hong Kong now that we control Hong Kong. Um, and, and I think that's their end game. Well, but uh, the, Kyle, the reason I ask is whether you think that the numbers are going, to the extent there are going to be companies that are still listed here, whether those num- numbers effectively become more credible because of this crackdown or less credible? Well, I, I, look, I don't, I don't think they're credible at all just to start, because I think if you're not, if you're not willing to submit yourself to a, a Western-style audit, then who knows what those numbers are? I mean, Andrew, come on. I, I, no one believes China's numbers are real. Uh, and and I, do, I think people, would, people do believe that, that they will continue to print uh, fake numbers and, and it'll look like growth. But I think now the, the game has changed given, again, trying to discount the, the Chinese government risk. But on the audits themselves, there are no audits. They still have two more years to comply uh, with the legislation that 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 uh, came at them last year. So to this day, Andrew, there is no audit that's reliable on any Chinese listed firm. So I don't again, you need to invest at your own risk. And if you believe the numbers, uh, you know, then you should keep your money in China. If, uh, if you don't believe the numbers and I, I you know, I, I don't know how you invest there. Kyle, it's Morgan. I mean, just to dig into that a little bit more, why then would this be a grave miscalculation for China from China's perspective? And I ask that as all this light is now being shed on the variable interest entities, these VIs that are basically the spider web of pseudo ownership uh, that investors here in the U.S. take part in and and are now basically getting burned by, as China calls calls these uh, structures illegal here. Right. I mean, we all know that it's actually illegal in China for a foreign investor to own a Chinese tech company. And so these VIE structures are just, uh, the, the best analogy is it's just a fantasy football structure. They set up an entity in the Cayman Islands. If you own one of these shares, you actually have no claim to their assets. So when things go south, or if the companies end up filing bankruptcy, there is nothing underneath to save you. You, you can lose all of your money, as we've seen in the Chinese education uh, shares. So I, I think it's important for investors to know that they all they own is a fantasy football share and a VIE. And uh, that's problematic in its own right. Kyle, there was uh, just, the, you know, some of the, the most incendiary and uh, controversial things still involve the, uh, uh, the coronavirus and, and its origin. We recently uh, saw that we're not getting anywhere. The, the WHO is not getting anywhere. Um, France, we, we now find out, warned that that Wuhan lab uh, was lacking in terms of safety back uh, years ago, three, four, five years ago. In your current thinking, what what actually happened and accidental? I, I assume you'd think if it did escape from the lab, it was accidental, but it certainly influenced the entire world and, and you know, and, and 
even the economic structure of the entire world. Where are you on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think John Stewart said it best on his Stephen Colbert uh, uh, appearance when he said, "What do you mean? There's a uh, an outbreak of chocolatey goodness in Hershey, Pennsylvania. That's that's essentially what happened here. It's it's obvious to see. Now, no one can- Oakum's razor. Uh, it, it's the most obvious thing is it's Oakum's razor. That's that's where it's from. And and it is a, a little messy little detail that we funded some of the research, I would think. Yeah, but you know, even if you look to science and you talk to the geneticists that that any geneticist that's worth their salt, including uh, the head of Caltech early on, said, you know, we've looked at at the uh, at this at this uh, virus uh, and and the uh, uh, the vi- the makeup, the genetic makeup of the virus, and uh, the spike proteins are non are non uh, natural. And, and again, I'm not a scientist, but the scientists that aren't paid by China that are the best geneticists in the world said it early. They said, this is definitely man-made. And the fact that the Chinese won't allow us in uh, just to help them figure out where pa- who patient zero was and where this all began, we, we've essentially given the criminals a, a year and a half to clean up the crime scene, and they still won't let us in. Uh, and, and that is not a, being a responsible global actor. We always want to give China the benefit of the doubt. And I know on Wall Street, there are a lot of people chasing a lot of uh, phantom profits in China, but uh, they are not acting as a responsible global actor. They still have a closed capital account. They only allow money in. It's very difficult to get money out. And yet we all can't wait to talk about investing in the next new Chinese startup. I think it's it's lunacy. And I think at some point in time, we're going to look back at this and say, all of the facts were on the wall. And yet we decided not to pay attention to them. And we either had FOMO or we couldn't wait to try to, uh, our greed and our, and our avarice uh, took over. I think this is so obvious in the long run. I'm just, I'm so surprised at how much money people are going to lose uh, as China cracks down on, on its uh, private sector. That's, was I, that, if we had more time, I'd ask you about that, because I, I, maybe Xi Jinping at some point goes, what was I thinking? Uh, I, I don't know. We, we will see. It, it's, it's hard to understand. And I've made that point that, you know, we're kind of, I'm not sure everything we think that we're seeing is, is what's actually happening. Kyle, there, there's more going on here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and we'll see you again uh, soon. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And a programming note, we have a first on CNBC interview tomorrow with Senator Elizabeth Warren coming after today's Senate hearing titled Cryptocurrencies, What Are They Good For? We know how that song goes, right? After that, absolutely nothing. And that's, I think, what she thinks. 
Yes, check out Squawk Pod tomorrow for our conversation with Senator Elizabeth Warren on crypto and much more. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Morgan Brennan for sitting in today. Morgan, Andrew was just saying how excited she is. She keeps, you can't believe that she says, I'm looking forward to every day, so every day this week. It. We really got nice. Meeting, we got really? Robin Hood IPO. No, I meant about being on here with that. I, well, yeah, all okay. of that. All right. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.